gotten to meet a lot of you. Not all of you. Hope to. You know, I, um, I know less than half of you have as well as I should like. I won't say the second part. <laughs> I like you all. <laughs> but probably not as much as you deserve. I mean, even if I like you a lot. There's no way that, I, I mean, I don't see you like God sees you, so hope to one day. Um, I've got an announcement for you before we jump into the Word today. We have our marriage retreat coming up this Saturday, February 17th. And uh, hey, let me tell you something. Uh, my wife and I went to the marriage retreat last year, and we thought that maybe we were in for, we, we could use a little tune-up, you know, because who can't, right? Uh, and, and we thought we were going in for a tune-up, but we got an overhaul. And um, we gathered some tools and some wisdom that we still carry with us to this day. We still practice things that we learn. We, we get together at the end of the day and we talk about what's our word and then we kind of share with each other. We have our connect time. If you, if you guys went to the marriage retreat last year, you know about that. But if you don't, then maybe you, maybe you don't. I just encourage you to think about it. If you're married today, um, I encourage you to, to think about coming out to the marriage retreat. You may, you may be on this end of the spectrum where you're like, well, actually, I think we're just doing fine. Um, you know, there's no such thing as inertia in relationships. You're moving in a direction. So just consider that over here, friends. And then, or you may be on this side of the spectrum and you might be thinking, I, I think we're so far beyond hope that uh, I don't even know if it's worth putting in that kind of effort. Wherever you, if you fall on either end of that spectrum, here's something I can tell you confidently about, about both sides. You're wrong. Consider it. Shall we get in the Word? Awesome. Our primary passage today comes from, ah, I can't. This couple right here, uh, you guys look outdoorsy, kind of. Uh, beanie and, uh, and ball cap. Could you stand for me real quick? I don't know your guy. What are your guys' names? Malik and Jeremy. Monique. Monique and Jeremy. Hey, I just felt like I got a word. Wait, what's, what, is this your boy or your? What? Roman? Oh, cool. Awesome. Well, I just felt like I got a word from the Lord for you guys, and it was gnawing at me uh, during musical worship, and I felt like I just kind of had to give it to you. What I saw was um, you two are like a beacon of godly masculinity and femininity for a generation that's very, very, very confused about those things. And I saw you each coming into a place where God is going to give you the words to equip people of your, I'm gonna say biological sex, because gender is kind of a theory, but biological sex, where you are gonna be able to equip women, especially mothers, and you're gonna be able to equip men, especially fathers. I saw you guys both kind of coming out of a, have you guys ever heard of the dark room like in photography? where a photo has to take time to be developed. You know, that's kind of in the olden days, but it was a thing and still is a thing. I feel, I, I see the Lord bringing you out of the dark room, both of you, where you've been in a season where he's been developing you and been growing you and shaping you and forming you. And he's gonna continue to do that, but he's bringing you out of the dark room so that you can be seen, so that you can minister as he has called you to. So I would just encourage you with this. You guys have more going on inside you than you give yourselves credit for. And you have a word inside of you to equip you to equip men and you to equip women. I saw you hanging out with moms and just encouraging them and just ones who have just given up hope. And like, especially ones, I don't know why, but like with postpartum like depression and, and feeling so discouraged and you're just like able to inject this word of hope in them. And I saw you talking to these men who feel like they have no place 
how they've just kind of had to bow down in their homes and they've not taken their rightful place as leaders and you show them how to be this tender warrior. Can I pray for you? Jeremy and Monique, can we extend our hands to this wonderful couple? Father, I lift up this couple to you and I say yes and amen to your word over their lives. Let it be so. I thank you for the dark room, but I also thank you for the time of revealing that is coming upon them for leadership in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That was the word too. We're going to get to the written word. That was the rhema. Now we're going to the logos. Okay, here we go. Our primary passage comes from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter, if you want to turn with me there, is a letter written by the apostle Peter. Who would have thunk it? And um, it's a letter written to uh, these Christians who were scattered in an area uh, at the time called Asia Minor. Now today we would recognize it as the modern day country of Turkey. Now he probably wrote this letter from the city of Rome and probably around 62 AD. Now in 62 AD, there was this really gnarly dude who is the emperor in Rome and his name was Nero. One of the just bad guys of history, honestly. And... Um, about two years later, from where we think this letter was written, 64 AD, there was the infamous burning of Rome, uh, where there was these fires in Rome and lots of things were destroyed. And this guy Nero, the emperor at the time, he pinned it on Christians. He made Christians the scapegoat. And it led to one of the worst Christian persecutions of all of world history. Bad dude. Now, why don't you just consider for a minute the timing. Peter writes this about 62 AD. And then in, coming in 64 AD, two years later-ish, there's going to be one of the greatest persecutions on Christianity that the world has ever seen. And think about the theme of this letter, which is the hope that we should have in Christ as we persevere in faith and endure suffering and persecution. That is the theme of 1 Peter. Now in chapter 5, Peter begins exhorting elders about how they should conduct themselves, but he quickly turns to exhorting the entire church and we're going to pick up in verse 6. And if you know me and you've heard me preach before, you know what I'm about to ask you to do. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? Again, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Yikes. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Ten years ago, around this time of year, I was in the early stages of a nine-month engagement to the woman who would become my wife. Nine months is a long engagement, friends. I'm just going to just give you a little tip. we got to move on. Nine months is a long engagement, especially when you're trying to do things God's way. Nine oh nine. Come on, i got to put a couple of those in there for you. We can have fun in church. So while we were engaged, we, uh, we went and met with several couples for pre-marriage counseling. By the way, you need pre-marriage counseling. 
if you're not married yet, because then it would be post-marriage or mid-marriage. But if you're not married yet and you're thinking about getting married and you have this special someone, you should get pre-marriage counseling. Well, I don't know, Seth, that just feels kind of like, are you just trying to put a heavy on me? No, I'm just telling you, if you're married, you know what good wisdom this is. If you're married, you know that people who are not married need to get pre-marriage counsel before they get married. It's the funny thing about life. You know so well and with such confidence things that you wish you could have known so well and with such confidence, but you always learn those things a little bit too late. There are two teachers in life, my friends, wisdom and consequence. I encourage you to listen and learn from wisdom. One of the resounding themes that we got while we were in pre-marriage counseling was, it is best to go into marriage, to begin marriage with your eyes wide open. Married people know what I mean. Benjamin Franklin is quoted as saying like this, before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. Then afterward, half shut. All you young people who don't know to giggle at that, you will one day. (laughs) The idea here is that it's best for us to have a sober view of a potential spouse before we get married, okay? Because once you say, I do, the due diligence period is over. (laughs) And you, my friend, have bought much more than a house. (laughs) Much more. So much more. Now, the troublesome thing about marriage, a troublesome thing about marriage, is that the human tendency is to go exactly against the counsel of Mr. Franklin. This is what I mean. The human tendency is to go into marriage with their eyes half shut. No, we may not be meaning to do that, but there's certain brain chemicals (laughs) that just have this way of just... And then... Only after the covenant is ratified, we then open our eyes wide open. Ho! Who are you? I don't remember this. That's because you've had your eyes half shut for two years. What were you? Now, the scriptures have something to say say about this as well, if you didn't know in kind of an uncomfortable passage, if you read the whole bit. I personally like it. I quote it to my wife all the time. She loves it. She doesn't love it. She wishes I wouldn't. We're working, we're working through it. Um, Proverbs 5, I'm gonna let you read some of the other parts of it by yourself, but I'm gonna give you some of the, some of the, the G-rated parts of it, or PG. Um, in speaking of the wife of your youth, Proverbs 5.19 says, we are counseled to be intoxicated always in her love. And yes, that means what you think it means, intoxicated. So perhaps for Solomon, uh, the, count, the full counsel might sound something like this. Before marriage, be sober-minded about this person you think you want to marry. Then after marriage, it's best to stay a little tipsy. <laughs> I'm not talking about alcohol. <laughs> Some of you just have the sourest look on your face right now. And to be honest, I love it. No, I'm not talking about alcohol, of course. Do not be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about awareness and alertness 
to potential problems and points of contention that might show up along the way. Just might. And I wonder if this counsel could apply elsewhere as well. Okay. So really, I'm not here to talk to you about marriage. I'm here to talk to you about this year. 2024. Now, before we get much further into 2024, I feel compelled to exhort you, church, to be sober-minded and watchful with eyes wide open. You see, about four years ago at this time, think about it, the world was about to experience one of the strangest and most contentious seasons of our generation. Most of us had no idea what we were going to face in March of 2020. Need I say more when I just say March 2020? When it was upon us, it was a little late for preparation. There was a lot of thinking on our feet. I remember, I remember sitting in rooms with different pastors, elders, leaders of the church and going, Kind of, kind of seems like it's gonna, either way, it's gonna be rough, whichever decision we make here. There were a lot of quick decisions that we had to make during that time, and some for better and some for worse. Some, I think I can speak honestly and to say, wish we would have handled a little bit differently, but I hope that you can say that too. I, for one, would have liked a little more of a heads up before March 2020 came. It would have been, I'm a bit of a planner. And my goodness, did I not see that coming. And that really ruffled my feathers, let me tell you. I would have liked to have a little bit uh, more of a grid for how to navigate waters like those ones. Can I just say, we may be headed into some interesting waters again. Have you felt it at all? I'm going to just lay before you <laughs> a few storms that we may want to prepare for this year. Maybe little drama around the presidential election. Maybe a little increase in political divisions. Little increased attacks on gender sexual identity, increased attacks on the rights of the children living in the womb. And I say it like that because they're people. That's not political. I don't know who decided that that was a political issue. It wasn't God. I might see a couple increased attacks on personal freedom, but I, just maybe, And just in a general sense, we may see a bit of an increased tension between the church and the world. Now, please, some of you, it's okay for you to have a sober look on your face right now. It's kind of the point of what I said. But I am not trying to speak any manner of curse or of death over 2024 at all. I'm not here to preach doomsday or to tell you to hunker down and batten down the hatches. That's really not what I'm doing. Heaven forbid all of you go to the grocery store and buy all the toilet paper. 
as a parent who's trying to potty train a two-year-old son, I beg of you, please, please don't. Please. I can't tell you what I experienced on Friday. I didn't know, I didn't know that a pair of jeans could be desecrated <laughs> to such a great extent and still, and still be jeans. <clears throat> Please don't go buy the toilet paper, friends. I, we need some. My goal today, <laughs> instead of convincing you that you need to go and fill up your, your shelters and your, and your um, you know, whatever people have in North Idaho. Um, instead is to see what the Lord would speak to us through the scriptures about how we might handle things a little better this time around. If indeed this year is another time around. Now to accomplish that, I just want to take us back to this passage that we read a few minutes ago. And I, I want to unpack this exhortation from the Apostle Peter. Starting in, in, the, in the first verse, verse six, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, to really understand this scripture, uh, we, we also want to just back up a little bit to the second half of verse five. And this is what it says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, just for that one person who's like, well, not me. <laughs> all of you. He's like, all of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, why would we need to do that, Peter? Oh, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to suggest to you that one of the foundational principles for preparing for the potential storms of 2024 is this. Humble yourselves. Not a lot of, not a lot of amens on that one. You mean me, Seth? You couldn't possibly mean me because, because I'm, I'm right though, about, about how to handle things like what happened in 2020. I just wish you could see that, how right I was. I remember you. I'll never forget you. I've forgiven you, but I will never forget you. When I look back on what happened in 2020, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we could have all used a little heavier dose of humility on how to handle situations during that time. Just a little more, maybe just one more spoonful. Just one. Have you considered that maybe some of us, what we were facing during 2020, we were actually facing opposition from God? Oh, Seth. Yeah, I am a Christian. He opposes the proud. That's not my opinion. I'm just quoting the apostle Peter there. Um, now the good news is that he also gives grace to the humble. And that in the proper time, he exalts them. That's good news. And when the storms come and just about everything is hitting the fan, church, we are in desperate need of the grace of God, the unmerited favor. The favor that says, not because of what you did, but because I decided. And who knows whether the time has come for a humble servant to be exalted in the midst of the storm. 
to be a beacon to lead the people of God through to the other side. You see, but if you get wrapped up in your pride, you just might miss it. You just might miss your shot of the way that God wants to use you when we head into the trial. Because you know how to do it right. Can we clothe ourselves in humility in 2024, church? I was expecting a few more yeses. Um, it, uh, God opposes the proud. Did we catch that one or <clears throat> did I stutter? Verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The second principle of becoming stormproof, cast your anxieties on God. This one's weird for me because I, 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 when I think back to 2020, I mean like fear and anxiety, like not, not, a, not a huge problem in 2020, right? Like just not, a, not, a, not too many people dealing with things like that. Obviously that's a joke, um, but there's actually a key here that's really important. There's actually a preparation element to casting your anxieties on him because it's easy to say, cast your anxieties on God. You know, it's like, just don't worry. And I'm like, cool, man, thanks for the tip. But there's actually a program. What I mean by program is that we can actually build the muscle of casting our anxieties on God by casting the little things on him so that when the big things come, and we're in the heat of battle, we actually know how to cast big things on him. You know, if you don't cast the anxiety that floods your mind about what your coworker is thinking about you, there's a good chance that you're not gonna cast your anxiety on God when you get a bad report from the doctor. Faithful with little, faithful with much. God actually has a weight training program. He has steps for us to walk out. 2024, we cast our anxieties on God. And I know there might be some people in the room today going, Seth, you are so ignorant. You don't even know what it's like to have crippling, crippling clinical anxiety. Look, I, I am not trying to tell everyone in the room that if you are battling anxiety, that you just need to have more faith. That's not what I'm saying. I recognize that there are people who are in the midst of the battle for their life and need a lot of different help in a lot of different ways. But this is what I'm telling you. Some, can you say some? some. Please. If you're gonna write me an email afterward, at least include the soundbite. Some anxiety comes from us not obeying God's word. Some anxiety comes from us not training in the little things. Some. Verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Oh, encouraging thought. The third principle of becoming stormproof is this, stay sharp and watchful. I don't know if you remember, but in 2020, we faced a lot of smoke and mirrors. Remember just like a tad bit of deception? You're like, no, Seth, I felt like, like CNN was pretty straightforward. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to call out companies like that from stage, but I'm not endorsing a candidate, so it should be fine. I guess, I guess the government will let us know. A lot of lies. 
Can we just, can we leave it at that? A lot of lies. Now, the, was anyone else jarred by the conflicting information where you would hear one thing and then two hours later hear the exact opposite from experts? Help us. <laughs> Expert, that, see that word. You guys ever seen the, no. You guys ever seen The Princess Bride? If you haven't, I'm not saying that you should watch it, but there's this moment where it says, I, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And now when I hear the word expert, what I hear is, I don't know about that. I just don't know. All of a sudden, the letters after someone's name just mean less and less and less and less. And your degrees to me just mean less and less and less and less. It's a sad thing. And I don't hate education. I'm working on my master's degree right now. But not so that I can just put those letters at the end of my name and tell people to just trust me because I'm an expert. Wow, I didn't really expect to go that deeply into that one, but hopefully that was for someone. God help us. What, what did we learn though? Did we learn that we have an enemy? Did we learn that he is on the prowl? and that he comes to steal and kill and destroy, please join me in preparing our hearts that maybe the lies and the deception, the lies and the deception meter, I'm just almost looking at like an, a range on an oven. It might just get turned up just a little bit over the next few months. I'm not trying to make us paranoid, friends. I'm trying to say that we need to be equipped. We need to be equipped with the truth. You go, how do we be equipped with the truth? Why, why, how, how, is, how is that what, what's necessary in order for us to not fall into deception? See, Jesus gives us the perfect example. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and the devil himself comes to tempt our king. And it's really interesting because the devil doesn't just throw garbage at Jesus. The devil actually manipulates the scriptures into half-truths. Gosh, that doesn't sound familiar. He manipulates the scriptures into half-truths. And the way that Jesus is able to combat him is with a sound, healthy understanding of the word of God. He had hidden the word of God in his heart and was able to combat the deception of the enemy. Can I tell you, friends, that the number one way that you can stay out of deception this year is not making sure that you listen to your favorite. No, 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 don't, Seth, no, not worth it. It's to hide the word of God in your hearts. Because when you learn what his voice sounds like, all of a sudden lies start to stick out like a sore thumb. The truth of God's word, the truth of God's word. And I get it. There might be some commentators out there that you really like and that really seem to align and really help in the echo chamber of your beliefs. But if they are just an interpretation and their own interpretation, let me tell you, be careful. We need to hide the word of God in our hearts in order to be, in order to guard ourselves from deception this year. Not just your favorite newscaster or podcast host. Verse nine, resist him, that is the devil, Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is the fourth principle of being, st being stormproof. Stand firm and resist. Storms have a way of shaking us up and making us lose our footing. That's what storms do. 
See, another way of understanding the word resist here in the original language is this. It's to stand your ground as in battle and not be pushed back by your enemy. That's, that's what the word communicates. That's what it would communicate in a, in a battle type situation is this word. There are going to be temptations and pressures for you to shrink back this year, for you to just move just a little bit on that issue because, because someone's gonna appeal to Jesus a distorted version of Jesus to make you move on an issue where he has spoken clearly. Do I need to get more specific? I hope I don't. What we have to do, this is the exhortation from Peter, stand firm. Do not let the enemy take ground in order to appease someone. It is a very backwards world that we live in where the general opinion is that the punishment for misgendering someone should be worse than the punishment for killing a child. Do not be pushed back. Stand firm. I was lighthearted, that's good. I'm very encouraged. Hope your appetites, appetites are getting worked up for after church lunch, just fun. Up until this point, we have seen commands with reasons attached to them, but I, I, I want us to hear this. Every one of these commands in the original language is not just a personal exhortation. Sometimes we, we read the Bible like that and we just go, this is just for me. It is for you, but every one of them is spoken in the plural form to say this, hey church, we need to get unified on this. You can't just expect the majority or a few bold, strong people to stand in the gap. We've gotta to be together in this. We've gotta to be together in walking in humility. We've gotta to be together in casting our anxieties on him. We've gotta to be together in resisting the devil and standing firm in our faith. Every one of us is responsible to be a part of the whole. We have a very individualistic hermeneutic in the Western world, and especially the United States, and I love the United States of America. I love, 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 so glad that I get to raise my son here. But there are parts where we can misunderstand the scriptures when he's saying, hey, church, and you take it as, hey, Seth. We've gotta do this together. And that really brings us to this turning of a corner in this passage where he moves from commands to encouragement. He says, basically, you are not alone. I'll read it again. I'll read again what he said. He says this, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The enemy thrives on the deception, this deception, that the trouble we're facing is unique to us. So we must despair because no one could be going through what I'm going through. Do you know that is one of the most dangerous deceptions? To think that you got it harder than everybody else and so no one understands you and so then you isolate and then you're afraid to share or you don't wanna share because no one's going through what I'm going through. Do you know that the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that? It teaches you are not alone in the struggle that you are facing. Do not go and get in this isolation so nobody gets me. And so I'm just gonna, that is the way the enemy would have you give up and throw in the towel. He goes, other people struggle, but not like you. God doesn't sound like that. 
in verse 10, we see this theme of encouragement continued. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, after you have suffered a little while. We can get things a little bit out of perspective. Look, I feel you. You're, you could be looking at me in the room right now and say, you don't know the suffering I've gone through. And the truth is, I don't know the suffering that I've gone through. What I do know is that this first century church, they probably have a pretty good idea. And the apostle Peter has a pretty good idea. Crucified upside down for the name of Jesus. After you've suffered a little while, God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And you can take that to the bank. Finally, in verse 11, now this, this last verse can be taken as like a little salutation. Oh, the, great, Peter, you just wrapped up that little, that little section nicely. Don't receive it as that. Verse 11, to him that is God, be dominion forever and ever. I'm sure you've heard something like this before, but I must remind you, whatever the world and the enemy has to throw at us in 2024, God is on the throne. And by the way, he's seated. He's not worried. He's not wringing his hands and he's not pacing the throne room going, oh my goodness, Lucifer, you really surprised me this time goodness gracious, I saw what you were doing before, but this one, you really got me. Our God is not like that one bit. We have an adversary, but he is not a worthy opponent to our God. Listen to this. God has already seen whatever's about to happen this year. And by the way, he's already working it out. He's already working it out. You're going, I don't see how that, you don't have to understand it. It's above your pay grade. The, the, what we agree to in Christianity is not, okay, I believe in Jesus and now I get to have an unobstructed view of reality. No, 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 no. We, we buy into this Jesus and we say, he has the unobstructed view and so he is worthy of my trust. Don't get it twisted. If you think that you're standing here with an unobstructed view, you are in opposition to the truth of the scriptures. We trust the one with the unobstructed view. That doesn't mean that we have it. We see in a mirror dimly, we know in part, but we trust the one who knows the whole. He has seen both sides of the curtain and he is worthy of our trust and our surrender. I feel like the Lord gave me this little song in 2020. I'm gonna let you into a little part of me right now. I, I mean, I write, songs that, that, I write songs that you've heard, but this one isn't actually for you. This one was just between me and God, but I felt like I was supposed to sing it this weekend because it was this comforting chorus of 2020 for me. It goes like this. He's reigning over it all. He isn't worried about a thing. He's not surprised when things go sideways. And Jesus ain't no stranger to pain, but he knows how to use it. And he's already been working this out. For our good, for his glory I can feel the tide is turning now He's reigning over it all He isn't worried about a thing And he's not surprised when things go sideways 
And Jesus ain't no stranger to pain, but he knows how to use it. And he's already been working this out for our good, for his glory. I can feel the tide is turning now. He's raining over it all. Would you believe it? Would you, would you let it echo in your mind throughout this year in 2024, whatever happens? Can we remember the exhortation of our brother Peter? Humble yourselves. By the way, me first. If 2020 taught me one thing, let me tell you, it is, Seth, you don't have it as figured out as you think you do. Something just tells him I'm about, I'm about to be reminded again. Cast your anxieties on God. Stay sharp and watchful. Stay firm in your faith and resist the enemy. And while we practice these things, these are the promises that we hold on to. We are not alone in the storm. We are not alone in our suffering. No matter what lie the enemy tries to tell us about our isolation, we're not alone. God is going to restore us. He's going to confirm us. He's going to strengthen us. And he's going to establish us. And no matter what happens, he is seated on the throne in the highest place with the unobstructed view. And he's not worried about one thing. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Look, this, this message is not just a message that you would have your eyes wide open to the storms that might be ahead of us, but that you would have your eyes wide open to the help that is coming. Because help is coming. Can you just believe it with me for just, if you could just, just believe it with me for a minute? that we would have our eyes wide open to the storms that are coming, but we would also have our eyes wide open to the one who rebukes the storm. Eyes wide open to the help that is headed our way. Now, maybe you're here today and you have not looked to the Lord for help. Let's be real. Maybe you've looked to other things. Maybe you've looked to money. If you're like, Seth, I don't care about money. I don't care about being rich. Okay. Maybe you've looked to power. I don't, I don't care about being powerful. Maybe you've looked to comfort. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I did look to comfort a little. Maybe you've looked to security. Oh, yeah, definitely have looked to security. Maybe to sexual gratification. Now everyone just averts eye contact with me because you're super uncomfortable. But the statistics say that some of you should be locking eyes with me right now. Or maybe it's some kind of substance that I'm not just talking about illicit substances. I'm talking about food. Oh man, I love when church folk, it's like, oh, I'm just, I don't struggle with that addiction over there with those sinners. I just injected sugar into my veins all day. <laughs> That's not a problem. I don't. Maybe it's drink. 
don't know what it is. Anything that you have looked to for help, anything else. There's a lot of good things too, but they're lesser. That's the thing. You know, Augustine said this, sin is simply disordered love. There's a lot of good things that we can love in life that can be sin when we get them out of order. And anything that has more of your heart and more of your trust than the one on the throne is creating unhealth in you. This is what Jesus said, the one who hears his words and does them. Hears his words and does them. Does them, Seth. Seth, are you a works preacher? I'm just gonna go ahead and quote Jesus. So the one who hears his words and does them is the one who, it's like the one who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, the house stood because it was founded on the rock. The one who hears his words and does them. But then there's another group of people he speaks to say, that says this, the one who hears his words and does not do them is like the one who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the house fell. And this is what he adds. He doesn't just say the house fell. You need to hear this because Jesus is speaking with some gravitas. He says, and great was its fall. My question to you in the house this morning is where is your house built? On the rock of Jesus, the Messiah, or on the sand of worldly pursuits? Because only one of those foundations is stormproof. Just one. 